0: You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb, Eric, and Sean. Listen in as they discuss the 1973 film, The Exorcist.
1: Tell us, Caleb. Why did you choose The Exorcist? Well,
0: uh, as you know, I was chatting with you a little while ago about what we should do next, and I was suggesting The Exorcist 3 because I just really want to rewatch that because I really like that film. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, Sean, you've seen that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely a couple times. I have not. Yeah, but Eric. Eric said in response that he's only seen part two, and I said that that was a terrible film, which uh, he seemed to disagree with, and so I was like, well, you know, it might be I'm not
1: saying it's not a terrible film. I'm just saying it's not totally (laughs) terrible. Is what I'm saying.
0: It's universally
2: regarded as one of the worst sequels of all time.
1: There's some really bad sequels out there.
2: Yeah, some really bad ones. Yeah, maybe better than The French Connection 2 or the sequel to A Christmas Story, but... Yeah, I've Exorcist II: The Heretic. I just heard it's like an acid trip or something. You know.
0: Did they really make a sequel
1: to A Christmas Story?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's set in summer. Um, don't ask me what the name of the movie is, but okay. wow, a sequel
1: that was like pretty recent or back in the day.
2: Uh, maybe in the '90s. Okay, because wow. I saw
1: a sequel to it that looked like it was about two or three years, and it piqued my interest. Two, two or three years old.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so we, uh, so I said because um, Eric also hadn't seen the first Exorcist, so I was like, "Well, fuck it, let's just go through all the movies. At least the first three. We, if you want to do the prequels, we can do them."
1: I didn't even realize there was prequels until you just told me the other day. Because I thought maybe there was remakes or something.
0: Do you know about that, Sean?
2: Yes, I found out about that recently, but I, I, I. Didn't know the name of them. I don't know how to access them. I'd be interested in them. But this isn't really a franchise that I'm in love with. I mean, for me, it's just the two films.
0: Yeah, and I, I felt that same way until I went through them all back in 2017. And I actually kind of like the franchise. I Like I said, the sequel is kind of terrible. But the third one, I think, is almost as good as this one. And I also yeah. really love uh, Dominion, which is the first prequel to The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. It's actually called that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a great film, but for whatever reason, it just really tickles my fancy. So I like that one a lot. Yeah, then the last prequel is just an amazing embarrassment. Like I can't even believe that film. But
2: can I ask you really quick, what's the prequel about? In you know a hundred words or
0: less, or less. Um, I don't remember if they mention it in this, but they mention it in the book that um, Father Marin' his first exorcism was this weird one in Africa. Okay, it's all about that. <laughs>
1: Well, I don't know if they mentioned his first or one that he's done recently in in the movie.
0: Yeah, it's not recent, and it's uh, played by... Oh, fuck, what's his name? guy from uh, Chernobyl. Um, Stellan Skarsgård. And he plays Father Marin in both prequels, by the way. It's a hilarious story with the prequels where they're they're both made from the same script, had most of the same cast, but two wildly different directors and two wildly different tones, and so it's highly bizarre, uh, double Bill. But he's great in the role, and so it... You know, got a lot of cool that's aspects. Like Alien vs.
1: Predator 1 versus Alien vs. Predator 2. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I... <laughs> two sequels, wildly different in tone. Okay, not very much. In the I mean, past, both of those are terrible. Wildly different. <laughs> Thank you. That's so fair. I'm, I'm going to go
3: home <laughs> now.
0: <laughs> but, so yeah, that's why I picked this. I thought it'd be fun to just go through all these movies since I'm such a fan of the franchise. I actually reread the book in prep for this in two days, so. What? <laughs>
1: What you people in your printed word. Let me
0: can I can I ask you guys
2: a question? I think I know the answer for Eric, but uh, Caleb. what what is your history with
0: this movie? Because my my history of watching this movie is kind of weird and interesting. Um, I would have seen it on TV probably at least like a dozen times or more. Anytime it would come on, I would watch it, but it was always edited. Mm-hmm, and so I course. didn't see the proper version until I bought the Blu-ray in around 2011. I bought that cool uh, Blu-ray book that they put out for it. And that just—it looked amazing, and it just deepened my my love for it. And I've seen it at least like ten times since then. I watch it pretty often.
3: Hmm.
2: And Eric, you said you had seen the second one uh, a few times before you saw this. Why?
1: Why had I seen the second one?
2: Yeah. It just seems.
1: I can't, I can't remember. Oh, maybe. Okay, now now that I'm thinking about it. I think it's because, for whatever reason. I always knew that, um, Linda Blair, I mean, I've known this since I was a kid, was like really hot in her le- late oh. teens, early 20s. Like I've always known God. that.
0: God, sweet Jesus. Wow,
1: wow. <laughs> What? What?
0: I mean, what? I love Linda Blair, but I, I don't really see the attractive element, but may- maybe that's just taste.
1: Okay, okay, okay. slow down. <laughs> I feel like we're coming from two different universes right now. Um... So anyway, I've been aware of that from old print media back in the 80s. <laughs> um, and so at a certain point, I mean, geez, I was probably, told, I mean, this was probably 20 years ago or more. I was like, I don't know, what's a Linda Blair movie from around that time period? Um, Scream. I was like, Exorcist? Nope, too young um i had a goldilocks situation exorcist too young and then there was some other things like chained heat Two. i was like no it's a little bit you know she's got like a funky 80s perm in that one and so then i was like well look look at this oh you know oh exorcist Two. okay this looks like a sweet spot right here um in, in her filmography um so i went there and i checked it out like i said approximately 20 plus years ago and I was like, this is all right. I'm um, not just for Linda Blair, for other reasons, but I don't know if I'm supposed to start talking about all the reasons why I like Exorcist 2 right now.
0: Well, I can save it. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. <laughs> but there was other things I liked about it, aside from Linda Blair. A lot of it had to do with the time okay. period when the movie was produced, and I find that – well, I find many time periods interesting in film, et cetera, and that's one of them, late 70s. And it's it's very new-agey, fi whatever, that time period. Okay. So a lot of that stuff grabbed me in. And also, the production values were so of that particular time. And I found that interesting, too, as a film buff.
0: Yeah, and I'm just going to quickly comment about Exorcist 2. So that same director, John Borman, he actually got offered this movie, but he refused to do it because he thought it'd be too exploitive. The director of <laughs> thought that this movie, the script, would be too exploitative. Uh, that I just is amazing to me. But yeah, he came on for the sequel, and uh, hmm. yeah, the guy's a loon. I love him. I mean, he's a crazy man, but...
1: I mean, if, I mean, it'll be what you make it. And you either think you can make something good out of it or you don't. I mean, whatever.
2: And William Freakin did a great job of it, um, despite the fact that William Freakin does horrible, horrible audio commentary, I think. Oh, really? He's like, uh, he's like, all right, this is Popeye Doyle and his partner. They're having a stakeout of this bar. In a minute, they're going to go in. Going in and they're going to go on a chase. I always like the chase. You know, it's just he's just it's almost like you're watching one of those like, you know, uh, visually impaired commentaries of people telling you what's going. But for me, this movie, uh, you know, I, I grew up a devout Lutheran. Uh, not many people know that about me until mm-hmm. I went to uh, uh, high school and I kind of fell out of that. And so, uh, you know, religious stuff like was. I was about to say religious shit. Can we <laughs> swear in this podcast? Oh fuck yeah. Okay, fuck yeah. So religious shit. You know, I was you know took it very seriously, even if it was fictional. I remember uh, the Omen uh, made me do a lot of uh, uh, research into Revelation, but there were two movies. My parents were my parents were uh, pretty liberal in what they showed me. They 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 let me watch Alien. They let me watch uh, the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, both of which scared me more when I was older than when I was a kid. Um, Twilight Zone, the movie, that, that one, I don't know why they would let me watch any of that except for the Kick the Can uh, episode. But <laughs> my dad didn't want me to watch this movie, and my mom didn't want me to watch Night of the Living Dead. And I could totally see where my dad, I don't know where my mom was coming from, I don't know what the deal was there, but my, da- my dad my just perhaps
0: what? A touch of nudity, maybe? That, that was always the big thing for my parents. Yeah, they'd let me watch any R-rated, extremely violent movie, but if there's any nudity at all, they'd be like, nope, nope. I I, I think in his case it was the
2: uh, the delicate nature of a girl, the crucifix, masturbation, the
0: uh, language. Oh, I meant for uh, Night of the Living Dead. But...
2: Oh, Night of the Living Dead?
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, I, was, I was like, where was all the nudity? No. No.
0: <laughs> no, no, it wasn't that
2: because I watched other things that had nudity. That's fair. But uh, I watched it with my uh, dad when I was a teenager, and I was like, "Oh, okay, well, this is pretty good." And then it was re-released years later as a director's cut, where they included all the. Uh, it wasn't a lot of extra footage. It wasn't like <clears throat> Lord of the Rings. Jesus. But what I remember in that movie, in the theater, this is sad. This is this is what I remember, as a, as you know watching it in college in the theater. Is that uh, there's a scene where she goes to see the doctor. She goes to see a number of doctors. And the doctor's sitting there talking, and he pulls out his cigarette and lights it. Everybody in the movie theater cracked up. But we went to see it with this friend of ours.
1: Oh, even back in the uh, Tom. Oh, wait. Wait. What year was this?
2: This was in the 90s. Oh, okay. okay that yeah, th- we went to see it with uh, a friend, Tom. Not my Tom, but a different Tom. He said, that this movie is absolutely absurd. It's so ridiculous. It's hilarious. I'm like, did we watch the same movie? Are you Mm. for real? So, you know, I feel like this movie, kind of like Blair Witch, is kind of poo-pooed on by the younger crowd. Not to sound like an old man, you know, and I think that's a real shame because they're both great horror movies. But uh, this, you know, this movie's got it. This is one of the best horror movies
1: ever made. Um, I've heard that a lot uh, about like newer generation seeing this movie for the first time in modern times, what Sean just said. Um, and I've heard that. And and we brought it up recently. I can't remember if it was on our podcast or when we were just talking on the side. But I, I feel like it'd be easier for a modern audience to poo-poo The Shining if they were watching it for the first time now versus this movie. Because I think this movie is still quite effective in the scare or unsettling department. And I would say more so than The Shining, if you were watching both for the first time now and you were like, I don't know, 22 years old or something.
0: Yeah, and The Shining, it almost has more of like an experimental feel to the vibe of it. It's all atmosphere. And I feel like, yeah, people nowadays, I don't know if they really go well with just straight atmosphere pieces anymore. I I had to think about that. Um I feel like people need a little more going on. But maybe, maybe that's not true. Films like Hereditary, I feel like, is mainly fueled by atmosphere, and that was a huge hit. Yes, absolutely.
2: So Absolutely. And of course, you have to think about *Midsummer*. That's even more atmosphere, but a different type of atmosphere. Um, I hate that everybody has to take those two movies hand in hand,
0: even though they're just because they're from the same director. <laughs> I mean, The Lighthouse, too. But the lighthouse also has brilliant filmmaking to go with it, not just. I guess you could argue, Midsummer. I'm personally not a big fan of Hereditary. Um,
1: Neither am I. I don't think it's bad. I'm just not the biggest fan.
0: I think it's just fine. <laughs> yeah, I would like it more if it wasn't brought up as like this brilliant piece where I'm like, it's just a good movie. It's not a by any means a great movie.
2: I agree
1: right. with that. I don't know what. I feel like Sean
3: wants to say something. <laughs>
2: I think the big deal about this movie was that there was, uh, you know, oh, there were many horror movies before this, obviously. But I think this was the first time, uh, a, a few years before this, they had Rosemary's Baby, which is another Satan-centric movie. Well, you don't really know that. That's actually a spoiler, but you don't know it until <laughs> the end what it's really about. There you go. I've never seen The uh, the, You know, that was nowhere near as graphic and visceral as this movie. And what's really cool about this movie is that this was Hollywood. I mean, this was, you know, the guy that brought you the French Connection, an Academy Award winning director, making this movie. And everybody went to see it. My dad has this story where he went to go see it a second or third time. Uh, He was in line. And there was a lady behind him with a little girl who was about six years old or so. And he, he actually turned around and he asked her, why are you bringing her to see this? I don't know what she said in response to that, <laughs> but it was so mainstream. I mean, this is the time when horror began became mainstream. Rosemary's Baby is more of a thriller than a horror. Um, but after this, you had movies like Texas Chainsaw and you had um, Halloween. And, you know, those are uh, different types of horror. Those are, you know, slasher movies. But this was a this was a oh, uh, the omen. The omen Mm -hmm. probably owes more to this movie than those movies do. But it certainly did put horror movies in the mainstream. Like everybody went to see it. It did to horror movies what Deep Throat did to porn. And and not only that, but you had this sensationalist thing about it uh, where, you know, people were saying, oh, we went to go see it and I passed out. I threw up, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's unfathomable to me to think of somebody watching this now and having that kind of reaction to
0: it. I'd be happy if you were scared of it, but not throw. Please don't throw up at a movie. Yeah, it's incredible to think <laughs> they were like handing out barf bags in the theaters.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's Cloverfield in modern times. Were they what? Handing out barf bags? I mean, <laughs> what? No, that it's 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 an extremely nauseating movie.
0: But that
2: well. movie, that
1: movie, in Bl- for different reasons, obviously, but I'm saying that that yeah, movie uh, it it'll. I didn't see it at the theater when it came out, but I, the first time I watched it was on what was my new big TV at the time, and I yeah I started getting motion sickness as much as I was enjoying it.
2: Yeah, but but you were getting you were getting motion sickness. You weren't getting sick because you were watching a little girl,
0: you know, throw up green pea soup or you know masturbate with a
2: crucible. Obviously,
1: one is hot and one is nauseating.
0: Yeah, they said that people were passing out during the crucifix masturbating scene.
1: No, I yeah, I read that too, and I get it. Like, no, I didn't have that reaction now, but I, I could see that, though. I could see that, though. I mean, in, in the time, in the era. I could totally see that.
2: And, and what's so ironic is, uh, for me, when I watch it, you know, there's all the, the gross possession shit, but the first half of the movie, uh, not much happens. Well, I I could argue otherwise, but... You know, they can't figure out what's wrong with Reagan, so they take her to the doctor. And Eric, uh, we're going to watch a movie called Bigger Than Life someday uh, shortly. And that's that's true with that movie, too. She is given so many tests that it makes the doctors look scarier than what actually happens to her. And to my, I, I still cannot watch the spinal tap scene. And I think they actually gave her a spinal tap. Um, it is so gross, and I, I can't. I mean, I can watch pimple-popping videos all day long, love them, whatever, but that yeah. Spinal Tap scene is just, thats for me, that's the grossest scene in the movie.
1: I must have been texting or something. Not that I was texting throughout the movie, but I must have been texting because I read something about that when I was reading up on the movie after I watched it. I don't remember. I mean, I remember when she got a Spinal Tap, but I don't remember the gross part. So I need to see that again. Oh,
0: really? I I think the whole element of like the medical horror is definitely one of the more horrifying aspects of it. Yeah. There's so many scenes of her just isolated, like screaming in these big devices that look like kind of pseudoscience in a way.
1: That that was me getting diagnosed for COVID, by the way. Um, Dude. But But they gave me so many different kinds of tests. So many different kinds of medical tests. Thanks.
2: Did you know the fun fact about uh, one of the extras that played the radiologist in this movie? Don't know. No, that. go ahead. Okay. Do you ever watch the show Man Manhunters? Man- Mind Hunters?
1: I'm aware uh. of it, but I've never watched it. Oh, wait, Mind Hunter on Netflix by David yes. Fincher? Yes. Yeah, I've seen season one and a two or three episodes of season two, and my sister just mainlined the whole series like in six days.
2: All right, so the blonde gentleman, I think he's got glasses, but don't, don't quote me on that. In that procedure, he was an actual nurse, um, and he ended up being arrested many years later uh, for killing uh, some gay guy. That sounds awful the way I said that. I, I, I'm gay, so I, so I can say that. But uh, he was uh, played in, in that show in the second season. They went to go interview him like they did uh, with the serial killers in the first season. That's just a fun
0: fact about the movie. I got nothing. But I was going to say, since I read the book, the whole kind of horrors of the medical intervention is totally an invention in this movie. Because in the book, all the medical scenes are from the perspective of Chris, and they all seem just like super professional, exhaustive. And they really kind of focus on the realism of them trying to uh, get to the point where they feel like she needs to go see a priest. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a whole room of them. I mean, it looks like a board room for
2: of 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 you know businessmen from some silly movie like the Hudsucker <laughs> Proxy, and there's like 20 doctors sitting there smoking in white lab coats. It took that many of them to figure it out. But there's also the theme of faith in this movie, and that's that um, is it. Damien, Father Damien,
1: yep, which I thought was so weird. His uh, name was Damien, but okay.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Of course, Father Damien in real life, he was uh, he was one that he went out and worked in leper colonies and, and spent his life um, to that. But um, the whole issue of faith is very interesting, um, and I, I don't really have much to say about it. But he thinks he's losing his faith, and it's his faith in the end that's, that actually saves Reagan, ironically, because at the end... Like many people do, you know, they're kind of agnostic their whole life, and then they get in a plane full of turbulence, and they're praying to Jesus. Uh, Guilty, raising my hand right now. (laughs) Um, But that's kind of what he does at the end of the movie. And, you know, then we have uh, Max von Sydow. I'm so sorry, what's his name?
1: Max von Sydow. Oh,
2: Father Marin. Father Marin. Father Marin, that's right. Father Marin. He's the exact opposite. He's had faith his whole life and can barely hold on to his life he can hold on to his faith but not his life. And I'm going to tell you right now for the my whole life almost. You know, I I had seen clips of him in this movie before. I thought that he was an old man the whole time. And it you know, I I, I just assumed that. I'm like my god, when is this man going to die? <laughs> Plus he's already died last year. Um but that's makeup. Uh this movie won an Academy award for best makeup and
3: definitely makeup.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, most people yeah. think it's for uh, Reagan's makeup, but uh, m- damn, it's the best old man makeup I have ever seen. My God. Pretty good. Yeah.
0: Almost as good as uh, Bill Hartnell.
1: <laughs> I don't know who Will Hartnell is, but anyway, um, <laughs> I want to say two things about, or something about each of those characters since Sean just did. The first, the priest, Damien, for whatever reason, almost the whole movie, uh, he reminded me so much of um, John Travolta's brother character in uh, Saturday Night Fever. I, don't, I, I know he's supposed to be Greek in the movie, but he just reminded me of, of uh, Travolta's Italian priest brother. I don't know how familiar you guys are with Saturday Night Fever. Never, never saw it. Never seen it. it. Yep.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh my god. Wait, did you say never also, Caleb?
0: <laughs> yep, never seen it. <sighs> I was never a Travolta fan. I grew up in a time when it's he was... a uh,
1: legitimate... No, forget about Travolta. It's a legitimate, really good, gritty 70s drama. Yes, it happens to okay. have disco and revolve around the disco scene, but it is a very legitimate, gritty drama. Um, also, Coming of Age, story, of course, as well.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I like the late 70s, so I'd be happy to watch it.
1: I'm telling you guys, that's a legitimate movie. It's a legitimate movie, whatever you think. It's a legitimate movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah um and anyway so yeah his character is this priest and like his mom is so in love with the priest brother uh brother son bro- slash brother and travolta's just the lost aimless one but he did he kind of resembles them and of course they're both priests uh so i don't know couldn't stop thinking about that comparison um and the other thing um max wants okay okay i could tell the actor had some type of makeup or was aged up but fine whatever i thought it was fantastic <sighs> And the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm like, this actor is so damn familiar to me, but I can't tell who he is. And I felt like it was the makeup was causing me not to be able to recognize who this actor was. And I was trying to figure out the whole damn movie. And it wasn't until I read the closing credits it said Max Zito, And I know who Max Zito is. Holy, I didn't know it was him. I yeah. didn't know it was him until I read the credits. And I was blown away. But what's remarkably strange about
2: that makeup, and I don't know if this is really a credit to the makeup artist or not, but they made him look exactly like he actually looked when he turned older. Like we watched Awakenings, uh, Eric, for our podcast. That would be the Best Picture podcast. Uh, And he was old in that, and he looks exactly the same in this movie. Uh, Ditto with um, uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. So I think that was really cool. And that's also a credit to the actor for playing a sick old man, and you can tell he's a sick old man, not just because he's taking pills at a cafe in Iraq in the beginning, but he's really doing a really good old man impersonation.
1: I agree. I agree. The only thing remotely um, 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 germane I can think of is how they aged up uh, Al Pacino in Godfather 3, and at the time, people thought that Al Pacino had actually aged that much um, when the movie
3: came out. But... (laughs) No, it, no, wait, wait, Eric, wait! It. I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt you there. I gotta interrupt you there. Er,
2: wait, hold on, Eric, Eric, do me a favor. You want to see really good aged up old man makeup? Okay. Go to Amazon Prime. Okay. And watch. I think it's 2018. The 2018 remake of Suspiria. Just watch the first Ooh. ten minutes of that.
1: Okay. I've been wanting to watch both the original and the new version. And I tried to watch the new version a while ago, and I didn't get very far. But i, I and, and, and
2: tell. And tell me who plays that old German psychiatrist, and your mind will be blown. Don't yeah. cheat. Just I was stunned. I couldn't yeah. believe it. <laughs> it's absolutely Oscar worthy. Yeah.
1: I um I wanted to say that I was going to bring a, uh, bring over a, a segment I'm known for on other many multiple podcasts because th- this is going to be Eric's oblique Star Trek reference of the show. Oh Jesus
2: Christ! Enter. And put in the put in the music.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but because Star Trek, because Sean was talking about great aging up makeup, I wanted to um, submit the, the converse of that. Because um, he was just talking about how Max Von Zito aged up in this looks like the real life, you know, age appropriate Max Von 20-30 uh, years later. I've always thought about this since I was pretty young. I like, mean, probably like in middle school or high school or something. Which was uh, there's the episode of classic Star Trek I think it's called the Golden Years maybe, but the crew catches this thing that causes I don't remember if it's all the crew or certain people to you know get into advanced age really really quickly, uh, and so of course the main three you know Kirk Spock and Bones you know they get it and they're aging and they they're looking like you know really old men you know, like, I don't know how it could be and I've always thought as as William Shatner has aged in real life they were so wrong. They were like, completely wrong and off because the old man he looks like in that classic Star Trek episode he is he's still not there he's not even close um, because he's just the ageless wonder he doesn't he did not at all he
2: he didn't turn into Fielding Chase from Columbo exactly I'm sorry
0: that was a reference that one person will get listening to this probably hey and we're gonna bring up Columbo again once we get to uh, Kinderman yes yes. <laughs>
2: I, I have a rebuttal to that. Do uh, you want to talk about it now? Sure, why not? Okay, so we've got this... We've got a murder, and it's the drunk director. I think there's a pubic hair in my drink! <laughs> and he thinks that the butler is a Nazi, and all he's an overall pretty obnoxious character. and Yeah, big asshole. Yeah, yeah he... he uh, he gets thrown out a window, apparently, and falls down the stairs. Well, they don't know that he was thrown out a window, but... the I like
1: how I don't even see it, in, or at all. I thought that that was good. That was a good
3: thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, and... Uh, um, so, Kinderman comes on, played by... Fuck, what's his name? Um, what's the actor's name? Didn't write it down, but wasn't a fan. <laughs> so, yeah, fun fact about this act. I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but... Um, in the sequels, in the sequel number three, he was played by George C. Scott, and both Brilliant. actors played juror number something in, in a production of a t- television production of Twelve Angry Men. Yeah, they both played the same parts in two different productions of Twelve Angry Men.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Anyway, he uh, there were I don't want to say accusations. Actually, this technically did not come out before Columbo. Um, that this was an inspiration for Columbo. Because he talks about his wife, he's all embarrassed, he meets this famous movie actress. But actually, if you go back and you look at the movie Diabolique,
0: am I pronouncing it right? Diabolique? Diabolique? Danger? Diabolique? Or was it just Diabolique?
2: Diabolique. Old French movie about, uh, uh, you know, there's a a school and... I don't want to give too much away. It's a good movie. And there's a detective in that that is even more Columbo-ish. But the creators of Columbo said, no, we we thought of it all on our own. We, Lee J. We Cobb. didn't steal it. Lee J. Cobb. There we go. Lee J. Cobb.
1: Yes. Born 1911. Good grief. I'll say in the book,
0: he's even more Columbo-ish. Like, it's crazy how close it is. Yeah. I'll also say that he's my least favorite character in that book because they spend so much time with him, it becomes obnoxious. But But anyway... I I thought he was obnoxious. Like if if some, like well, he's not
2: creepy, but like if someone's constantly, would you like to go to the theater with me tonight? They're showing, uh, you know, uh, Othello. Yeah, I'm like, no, I don't want to go to the theater with you. Um, I don't know you that well. Leave me alone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Friedkin. Friedkin was wise to uh, kind of. I guess not Friedkin. It was actually Peter or whatever his name is, Blatty. William Peter Blatty. he was wise to kind of slim that down because it was such a huge section of the book. He would just, like, take over for, like, I don't know, like, 50 pages. He'd come in and it would all be his investigations, and it just went nowhere.
1: You read it all the last two days? Oh,
0: man. I couldn't. I couldn't. I I remembered really liking the book. I hadn't read it since I did that big marathon back in 2017, and I was like, oh, I want an excuse to go back. So I just pounded through it. But, yeah, the... Kinderman stuff was rough.
1: Maybe an Audible I could do it, but okay. I'll say some more things about the movie. Sure. Cause again, I've never seen this movie before. Ever. I'm starting to finish. i have seen bits and bobs and clips and things, but I'd never seen the whole movie start to finish at all. And I didn't really have a strong desire to. Not because I thought it was a bad movie or undeserving movie, just because it just falls into this big basket of, I just don't think it's for me, or it doesn't seem like it's a movie I'd be into, um, from afar, from my perspective. So that's why, um, I never watched it or sought it out, even though I'm very familiar with its reputation and everything else. Um, so, watching it, you know, from the beginning, some things jumped out at me right away. First I thought, oh look, it's like, it's so Raiders of the Lost Ark at the very beginning. Um... I wonder, I wonder who did that first. I mean, because it's been done in many other movies, post-Raiders. Like, just having an archaeological-type scene or whatever, perhaps in, in the Middle East or North Africa or whatever. And it, But, it, I mean, it was so done the same type of way uh, with a lot of the cinematography and everything as Raiders. And I wonder if this was the first to do that or if there was something that even predates this. I don't know. But I like that. Um, another thing I noticed right off the bat was... I'm watching off of uh, HBO Max, where it's currently streaming. And I believe it's the theatrical version, but I also believe I'm watching a restored version because it is quite pristine. Obviously, it's not perfect, but all things considered, 1973, it's pretty pristine, and I liked that a lot Um, because it's like watching a Criterion version, basically, uh, except streaming. And that just made all the medicine go down better not that this was medicine but i'm just saying that just made it all easier to enjoy the movie because it looks like it was brand new except of course set in 73
0: yeah when i bought the blu-ray i was so stunned i couldn't believe how much they cleaned it up because i'd seen it so Mm -hmm. many times on tv and it just yeah it's like when i bought the suspiria blu-ray
1: oh my god you mean like the original suspiria
3: Mm -hmm.
0: i just ordered that today Speak of the devil. Wow. Synapse just did such a stellar job. I had this old kind of shitty Anchor Bay DVD for years. Yes. And when I bought that uh, uh, Synapse Films one, it just yeah blew my socks off.
2: Yeah. I had to order it directly from them instead of Amazon. It was not cheap. Um, oh, damn. But, yeah. I, I originally ordered it from Amazon. It was supposed to be a 4K with Blu-ray in it and the package showed up the other day, and um, the box was broken. It was a 4K, you know, black box. But the DVDs in it, were, the, the discs in it were Blu-rays. So I found it, I'm like, I don't want this. This does not look good. I'm just gonna return it and say it didn't include 4K, even though I don't have 4K. Anyway, that's neither here nor
0: there. Yeah, I'm actually tempted to buy the 4K upgrade now.
3: <laughs> um,
1: I was gonna say something about that, too. Well, you reminded me, because earlier you said how you saw this on TV. And that's back in the day, or whenever the day. So that kind of surprised me. Well, I grew up with only free TV. And that's why I only ever knew certain horror movies as a kid. Because I saw... They always showed the same horror movies on on free TV when I was growing up. um, And I saw those. But this was very not much one of those. So that's probably a big reason why I never saw this as a kid. Because it never came on free TV uh, when I was coming up. Um... Oh, so so recently, um, some may or may not know, you know, me and Sean had seen The Last Picture Show uh, not too long ago for our regular podcast. And then after that movie, I got that uh, Criterion uh, BBS set of movies from the late 60s, early 70s that were all, uh, you know, indie, kind of like, um, you know, anti-studio type movies. And I watched all those love them and when you watch those you kind of see some similarities in dna of filmmaking with their independentness and the way they're shot and very gonzo style very um uh french new wave film style and of course those were independent movies straight up and as sean mentioned earlier you know this is a legitimate studio picture warner brothers and it's interesting because i guess by now 73 You know the traditional studio system and production ways have died the the upstart uh rebel indie filmmakers were making a big mark so i guess this this feels like the melding of that to me because it still has a very similar style to those independent bbs movies but it's a legitimate studio so it's like it just kind of comes together you know uh like the reverse fork in the road
2: I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, that that's true. And if you watch, I mean, I don't know if he made anything in between, but if you look at something like The French Connection, which is very indie looking, um, and then you go to this, you can see the transition from an indie filmmaker to a big Hollywood production.
1: Yes, and you see the same thing with um, many uh, modern filmmakers who start off kind of independent, and then you see their transition if they're good, and then when they go to when they sign okay. with the studios. Um, other early thoughts I had was um, I'm looking up the actress's name, even though I should know it. Ellen, uh, Ellen Burstyn. Burstyn. Burstyn.
3: She
2: was in the Last Picture show.
1: Yeah, she was. And yeah. the last picture show was 71 or 72? Yeah, se- 71. And, and I, I noticed right away in this movie, um, you know, it's, it's only two years later, production wise. And I get it has a lot to do with hair, makeup, and everything else wardrobe but she just seems quite a bit older in this movie the, the actress again i get hair makeup everything she seems to uh, me a bit. Older, you don't think
0: yeah it's, I know. it's amazing because i just i just seen her in this movie from 1969 called a uh, pit stop directed by jack hill one of the great exploitation directors and yeah she looked like she was like maybe like in her early 30s in that Mm-hmm. in this I would say like early 40s yeah,
1: last weird. picture though she, she's like super milfy um, not so milfy in uh, The Exorcist
0: you know she's not
2: supposed to be milfy not just because it's the topic but she's like fucking she's she's having a fucking nervous breakdown throughout the movie I mean by the time that she gets and, and she talks to Damien and tells him what her problem is it's it's almost like that scene in Poltergeist where Craig T. Nelson finally breaks down and goes to see the uh, psychic or the paranormal uh, researchers at the university that that's her breaking in scene yes. and from then on i mean even at the end the closing end of the, of the movie she she looks terrible and that's totally on purpose and she she's very good
1: i completely agree with everything you're saying 100 percent. i will say she does have a bit of a nervous breakdown last picture show but i get it. it's not the same at all as what you're talking about in this movie um the other thing that struck me because i was like wow she's so much older so I had to go back and look at her age again. And then I had this thought. Sean could tell me what he feels about this. So oh, me and me and Sean are both older now than she was when she made this movie.
3: Oh god.
1: <laughs> she was forty one in this when she made this movie. And I was just like, Good lord, what is going
2: on? Uh okay well if you if you want to make yourself feel better about that eric watch uh, requiem for a dream and you then you can oh
1: i don't and i was almost i was about to almost about to mention that right now because i've seen that movie and i watched it the one time when it came out on dvd or whatever <laughs> um and yes i i've only seen it the one time i could never watch it again i thought it was a fantastic oh, movie, it was brilliant and I, and I i said never again i just i just can't watch this movie That was one of the hardest hitting movies I've ever experienced for myself. That's in my conversation with Graveyard of the Fireflies as two movies, like I would much rather watch Schindler's List like 10 times uh, in the Holocaust than have to watch uh, those two movies again for the second time.
0: Yeah, Requiem hits so much closer to home. It's just, yeah, it's hard to compare.
1: It was rough. It was a rough movie, fantastic, rough movie. Anyway, so those are some of my early thoughts. I'll throw it back to
3: whoever
1: wants to pick up the baton.
2: Um, we, we talked about Father Damien a little bit and about his uh, loss of faith or what he thinks his loss of faith is. Um, there are other themes in here, and that's the parental uh, child theme. Uh, Father Damien, in the beginning of the movie, he loses his mother in a very oh god in a very painful hospital scene where he goes to visit her and she's lying there dying in basically the psychiatric ward for women uh, and by the way there's a lady who takes his priest collar off which is you know hmm. indicative of something early on and then we have the plight of the mother for the child where we have uh ellen burst do going through so much and worrying so much about her own daughter and you know, also feeling probably guilt, and that's part of what Damien feels as well. Um, I feel like I'm getting a little bit intellectual here, uh, but uh, yeah.
0: What about that pea soup, eh? Yeah, and I was gonna add on to that. They keep talking about, um, at least the like the doctors keep trying to say that. Reagan feels some sort of guilt, but what did you guys think the guilt that was that they were talking about there? Like, is there being like, oh, maybe this, uh, I think they call it like, a somnambulist possession comes from some sort of incident of guilt? I didn't quite get where that would be coming from.
1: Mm, I don't know. I had not pondered this question until you raised it. I don't know.
2: This, okay, this, this, there's only one scene. Okay. There's only one scene that touches on this, and that's, that's a really great question. Is And traditionally, like, when you look at parapsychology, um, if you know whether you believe it or not, when a demon um, uh, possesses someone, it's because there's some sort of trouble up in the home. It's not they don't just possess happy people. They're you know you, they're usually teenagers, uh, usually pre. pre, 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 pre. Uh, where
3: does this come from, man?
2: I don't know. Just just <laughs> shit that I listen to in podcasts and okay, stuff. Okay, I
1: I, I, know, I just wasn't sure if this is like a thing in movies, or books, or.
2: Ed and Lorraine Warren shit. I I read their book and I (laughs) take it with a grain of salt.
1: No, 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 it sounds interesting.
2: But there is one scene in the beginning of the movie where uh, Ellen—it's Reagan's birthday and Ellen Burstyn is trying to get a hold of Reagan's father, and he's not where he's supposed to be. So she loses it on the telephone and starts yelling and screaming. And Reagan is eavesdropping from the other room. So that's hilarious. This scene just happens to be playing as you're
0: talking. (laughs) Yeah. When did you start the movie? What are you playing it in slow motion? <laughs> I paused it for a long time for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> so,
2: you know, uh, there is... That's the only hint of sort of like a troubled home that we get because everything else is so cozy. Like, she wants a pony. The mom's an actress. She's probably doing very well. She's popular. They have two servants and a secretary that basically live in the house. Um... So I don't know what the hell kind of guilt Reagan is suffering from. That that I, I don't understand other than maybe uh, thinking that she tore her parents apart. So
0: Yeah, I, I was curious if you guys maybe saw something that I didn't and I, I had the same complaint with the book. They never really explain where that supposed guilt is coming from but they bring it up a couple times in the book and they bring it up I think just once in this movie but it never really goes anywhere. Yeah.
2: Of course, there's also the fact that she's been playing with Ouija boards um, and Captain Howdy and all that, and maybe that was a
1: uh, place for, uh, for the Milton Bradley uh, plastic game
0: <laughs> product place. Oh man, yeah, uh,
1: oh, they had to boost tons of move uh, units because of this movie.
2: Don't, don't, guys, don't, uh, everybody, all, to all the readers,
0: don't. Don't list. Don't buy a Ouija board. What? Don't. Oh, I Ouija thought
2: you
1: were listen
0: to Eric. Like, I, I Yeah, I, I'll probably cut this out. But I once had sex on top of a Ouija board. Oh.
2: Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well. uh I'll
1: Cut that out. <laughs> cut that in. Yeah. Wait a minute.
2: Wait a minute. Wh- why? Why? Why was it like? Hey, let's have sex on a Ouija board and
0: see what happens. I wasn't. It wasn't my call. It was the the girl was a little bit little bit out there oh. okay okay <laughs> all right okay well all
3: right <laughs> anyway, you know I...
0: what if the time was right perhaps i would <laughs> i was like hey you know that's, that's i guess so why not whatever i don't i don't believe in anything
1: i like how they're um i like how the basement where the ouija board is in the movie is like the inspiration for the basement in that 70s show because uh it is <laughs> quite similar the only thing that's missing isn't that seventy? show there's a door that you can exit the basement and go outside? That's the only thing missing. But it's pretty much, like, right on. Go back. Compare. Take note. Um, no, but, yeah, I feel like it was part of the yeah, I, like I, I feel like they had talks and stuff. I mean, I don't know what else you would use if you didn't. I mean, it wouldn't be the same if it was, like, a Magic 8-Ball, I guess. I don't know if they had those in 73. But, um, yeah, I feel like it's, it's almost like Reese's Pieces. Reese's Pieces in the E.T. or
0: something? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, I, I don't know. The Ouija board part was always one of the weaker elements of the movie to me. I always thought Ouija boards are kind of silly. And so I, I didn't really know if that would bring a, a demon upon someone. But well, I, you don't I know I what just, a Ouija uh,
1: board like until you have sex on top of one. Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell
0: you. Uh, but I'll just also mention, just because I mentioned the book a little bit here, uh, this movie clearly tries to focus on realism more and it tries to look at what a real case of possession would look like but very oddly in the book um apparently uh was it william peter blatty i always get his name fucked up for some reason yeah that's right that's right uh, for whatever reason i guess he was under the impression that like um telekinesis and telepathy were just like naturally occurring phenomenon at the time
3: Right. that's true that's and so right. as they're
0: doing as they're doing their big um kind of investigation to see if she's demon possessed they're just like oh she's moving things around the room well that could be perfectly explained by modern psychology oh she's reading our minds like oh yeah that's perfectly normal so i'm very glad they cut that out of this movie because it felt so dated and (laughs) bizarre Uh, i don't know where that comes from i will say
1: i liked i can't remember who explained it if it was a psychologist or whom at some point in the movie they had some line about how an exorcism how it how there's like some type of scientific explanation for how it can work um about how it's not necessarily about like god or religion itself but mm-hmm. you know if you get like the person to believe in in it you know themselves um I don't know I just kind of like that line because I felt like I feel like there's a lot of truth in that I mean outside of the movie I feel like there's a lot of truth to that as it pertains to just faith in general um for everyday things I just kind of like that line
0: yeah, that, that's fair. And they mentioned how sometimes when people are like in extreme stress, they can like lift 10 times more than they could. When oh, not. Not, that's stuff all I buy, but.
1: When they started saying that line in the movie, my first thought was, oh, is this where this started from? Because we've all heard this a million times before. Uh, but then they even say in the movie, you know, the, the thing that we've all heard after. Maybe they didn't start then.
0: Yeah, it's making me think of uh, The Incredible Hulk Pilot. They talk about that quite a bit, but. Yeah,
1: that's where my the, mind always goes. Um, I've seen the pot at least once. Wait,
2: yeah. not mine. Um, <laughs> oh, that sounded kind of snippy. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <sure>. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, the the history of exorcism is actually really fascinating. I mean, there's there was, um, oh god, there's been uh, turn of the century like exorcisms were where you know kids have died because they were uh, starved and you know, dehydrated and stuff and I, I find that fascinating and apparently this was based on an actual exorcism uh, that took place of a little boy um, that, it, did William Peter Bleddy actually see it? Or he was there like as a journalist? I can't I can't really remember but I think the important thing is, is that, and I, I'm sure this was this, this struck a nerve to the people who saw this movie back in 1972 that, oh my god is this real? You know, like you know, obviously it's not, but my God, this can actually happen to us. And we believe in God and we believe in the devil. We're nice practicing Catholics, Lutherans, whatever. Um, this could actually happen. So we better start being better people. And it's that's part of the reason why it scared the shit out of him. I don't think it was the the, the pea soup or, or the cross masturbating. It was just that Something so horrible like this, it could come into the house of somebody who was just a God-fearing, red-blooded, i was a Republican, uh, red-blooded American. And and by the way, they're not exactly God-fearing because uh, she says early on that they're not religious at all. That's the scene uh, where the doctors refer them
0: uh, to an exorcist, which is another reason why it wouldn't have worked, so... But I do think that's a big reason why this movie was such a gigantic mm-hmm. hit, because so I think a lot of those kind of religious folks felt like they had a moral responsibility to go and see it, just like what happened with uh, Passion of the Christ.
2: I was just thinking that, yeah. You'd have busloads of people on Sunday, going to church, get in the bus, go to see Passion of the Christ. Yeah,
0: I I remember those days and being like, oh, what the fuck? Did
1: you guys still that movie
0: yeah, my I remember the day it came out on DVD, and my parents like brought their whole church group over, and all the kids had to come and watch it. And they're like, "Oh, this is the only time we'd be okay with you guys watching a movie like this." Ha ha ha.
1: You know what? I mean, since you brought it up, you guys, the experience I had watching that movie at the theater. I don't know if it. I mean, it was. It's not, it wasn't the same, but there's probably lines of similarity you could draw to people having an intense reaction to this movie in 73. I went into that movie Passion not really knowing what to expect at all really. And during the climax of the movie and once it was over, that's up there. in like my top five being most shook in every possible way biologically and mentally, emotionally. That movie kicked my ass. Uh, Not necessarily in a bad way, but I mean, I, I, I went in not expecting that and I, it, it was I've rarely had an experience like that at the movies yeah. where it's like I don't even know what adjectives to use because I wanted to say suck the life out of me but, but I mean I was drained um <laughs> that was another movie where I like I couldn't even look at the screen because for like 20 minutes it was like full of tears my eyes it was crazy it was a wretching experience it was as you know, I don't even know if there's a horror movie I've ever seen at any point in my life that like shook me as much as that movie. I'm just saying, I'm just saying.
0: Ever seen Martyrs? <laughs> Sorry,
2: Martyrs. Did <laughs> do you ever see Martyrs, Eric? I think Martyrs.
1: I don't even know what that is.
2: Okay, all right.
1: Sorry.
0: <laughs> you seen that, Sean?
2: I have. Uh, when it first when it first came out, and yeah, that's pretty. Goddamn. Uh... <laughs> My, my, oh my god, I can't see this
0: again movie was actually Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh, But, just out of curiosity, did we confirm whether you, Eric, had seen the uh, director's cut or the theatrical?
1: Pretty sure it's the theatrical, because I read what happened, some things that happened in the directors, and I did not see any of that.
0: Oh, okay, because yeah, like I said, I was watching in the background here, and we just had one of those flashes of the um, demon face. Mm Mm-hmm. And I remember in the director's cut, they just, like, put there through the whole movie. It was really uh, weird and annoying. I haven't seen that in years, but...
1: Yeah, obviously I've never seen the director's cut before.
0: Is that the one that you watch, Sean?
2: Uh, For this, right now, I'm watching... I've seen both. Uh, I'm watching the regular one, but I remember that about the director's cut.
0: I, I was hoping to get a chance to watch the director's cut, because I haven't seen it since I first bought that Blu-ray, but just didn't get the time but it's there's it's it's not like lord of the rings where there's an hour extra
2: footage it's just um a few extra little things i mean he didn't do a george lucas on it um i I know that he added a couple extra um
0: like the crab walking scene you know what i'm talking about right the crab wouldn't you yeah and i i feel like they maybe re-edited it like there was like a little bit of uh they like changed the placement of some scenes maybe yeah but yeah, it's been so long. I I can't comment really. Um,
2: there was this. I think also they explained a scene that happens in the beginning when she first starts getting sick. Um, she they're having a big uh, cocktail party and uh, the priest is 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 tickling the ivories and Reagan comes down and she looks at them and she says, "You're gonna die up there." And then she pees on the floor and oh my god, take her upstairs. And it wasn't clear in the film. I didn't know it until I read the book many many years ago that she was referring one of those guys was an astronaut it was the the tall uh, kind of middle-aged and handsome man in the gray suit that he was an astronaut and he was going to go up into space in like a couple months and i think if i remember correctly in the book and this is one of the few things i remember
0: from the book is that he did (laughs) you know die in space so yeah i think they do mention that yeah at some point later in the book
1: it's a little interesting I want to say I get distracted by the hot 70s girls playing tennis on the Georgetown campus. <laughs> uh, it happened the first time, and it just happened again. Just saying. Just saying. You have Shum, By the way... Uh, Don't dismiss that, Caleb, but go on.
0: <laughs> what did you think of uh, Jason Miller in this film? What did I think of
2: Jason Miller? I, uh, you mean the way... Just in terms of looks, oh. because... <laughs> No, nothing.
0: Oh, really? Uh, there, I thought he was looking pretty damn fine in
2: this. Yeah, he he uh, uh, he did not have a good life after this. He he wrote a really good play called That Championship Season. I think he won an award mm-hmm. for it, an award or two. Um, by the time that he was in The Exorcist 3, he was so fucking messed up that he couldn't even remember the lines because his, his brain was so fucked up from alcoholism. So uh, now, when I can't remember something, I, I think of Jason Miller and having wet brain. <laughs> oh, that's sad. yeah. He was really sick in that.
1: I'd rather go for Travolta's brother in Saturday Night Fever over Miller, but that's just me.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought he was really good in this film. I think he got
2: an Academy Award nomination. Um, I know Linda Blair did. I know Ellen Burstyn did. Maybe it was Max Mind Sino too, but I don't. I don't quote me on that.
1: Oh, okay. So. Now two things I want to say. Uh, one was um, earlier in the movie. I like I like when they do this in movies, and there's one of my all-time favorite uh, Nike commercials uses this same concept.
2: <laughs> I, I, wait, wait, yeah, I, I know. I'm thinking <laughs> the same thing, kid. <laughs> Nike commercial. How are you going to connect this? Easy. How are you going to connect? this? Easy. I just. I'm, I'm, I'm shivering with anticipation. How you connect this? Oh, <laughs>
1: watch the commercial later, um, Sean and Caleb and everyone that's at home. It's a fantastic commercial. I don't care what you think about sneakers. It's an amazing commercial.
0: <laughs> I don't think I have any favorite
2: commercials, but you know, I've, I I think very highly of sneakers. Uh, and also, <laughs> I know people who hate sneakers, so it may affect what you think about
1: sneakers. Okay. Well, let me let me tie this bow. Let me tie this bow for you guys. So I like what they do. Or the laces, I should say. I like what they do in this movie, which I wish someone would compile a list of me of other movies that do this fantastically as well, which is um, through the first third or half of the movie, you have Regan and her mother going through their storyline, and then you have um, Mr. Miller, the the priest, uh, going through his, you know, getting to know his character and everything. And you know, early on, somehow... These two halves or sides are going to collide or come together. And and the way it's, you feel them coming together, getting closer and closer as you're watching the movie, and you know it's going to happen. And I just kind of like that anticipation and how they juxtapose what each is doing. They're going to be in complete separate worlds early in the movie. They have no yeah. connections or associations, but you know they're coming together. And I like that. And then finally, they come together in the plot and in the story. And then it's like, boom, here we are. And this is what we've all been waiting for and anticipating. And that's when everything goes down uh, in the movie. I like that. I like that. And so this amazing Nike commercial, it was, man, about 15 years ago or something when this one came out. Um, And you'll know it or you can Google it and find it easily because um, the extended version of the commercial is about, I don't know, three minutes or something, four minutes long. And it uses um, the infamous uh, Morricone uh, score from um, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, uh, uh, the, the song that has the, uh, gold in the title um, from Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and they use that. They use, like, a hip-hop version of that of that theme. So perfect. And it's these two famous NFL football players from 15 years ago, Pomalanu or whatever his name was, who was on the Pittsburgh Steelers, who was, like, the uh, – forgive me, I don't know if he's Samoan or – Pacific Islander and he had this big poofy hair. That's what he was known for um, Back in the day and this other uh, and so he's a running back or no no no. He's a Paul um, Milano or whatever. He's like a safety or a quarterback. That means he's on defense And that means he's the person on defense who's supposed to catch the guy who's running and they had this other famous running back from that era So one's a famous running back who carries the ball and he's a famous guy who catches the guy with the ball and in the commercial, you know, it's very it's shot very cinematically in Letterboxd and everything in Cinescope. They're young boys, and one is running from right to left, and the other one's running from left to right. And they're little boys, and they're going through the stages of boyhood and getting older and growing up. And they just keep going back and forth, and they're just becoming older, uh, adolescents, you know, high school, college. Boom, now they're in the NFL, and they're, they're constantly one running... They're both running to the center, of the whole video, and the music is climaxing, and now they're full-grown men, and boom, they hit each other. It's fucking amazing. It's an amazing commercial. <laughs> Go check it out.
2: Okay, uh, going back, um, what does this have to do with The Exorcist? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. What
1: I just said! <laughs> the priest... <laughs> And Regan and her mother in two disparate storylines and they're in separate worlds in the beginning of the movie and you feel the anticipation. You know they're going to come together at some point in the movie and you're just waiting for it. And along the way, there's some juxtapositions at times because they go from Regan and her mother to him and, and you, you just see Then and you're just like, how is this? Okay, you know there's going to be an exorcism, okay? It's in the title. But you just, you're anticipating it and that's how I felt watching the movie and I'm just like, this is gonna be great this is gonna be great and like i said finally they come together in the movie and then that's when everything really goes down that's when the movie hits 11
0: well oh, but uh, speaking of the exorcism what do you think of the that sequence
1: it was interesting because it, it, it's it's there's there's something about anything that makes you lose your sense of time whether you're reading a book having sex um, or watching a movie that or series that just completely envelops you. Because I, I remember, because um, I was learning, because like, I remember I thought it was, again, it's my first time. And the first time Regan exhibits some, like, now she's going beyond regular having a fit, like, now she's getting, like, you know, a deformed face and everything. That I thought, wow, that actually happens pretty early in the running time for the movie. And so I thought, what else is gonna fill the time? Cause there's, there's a lot left in running time. Um, and there is a bunch and I thought, okay. So then, you know, we're getting to the climax. And like I said, finally, cause you're waiting for it, or I was waiting for it. I would imagine the audience is waiting for the priest now to meet, we and her mother and then get convinced and then go through with this and take, present it to the church. And it's like, now it's go time. Now it's the big showdown we've all been waiting for. And I, I looked at the time and I saw how much time was left. And I was like, oh, that, that's kind of a bit of time. Next thing I knew, the movie was over. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> I completely lost all sense of time uh, during the climactic exorcism scenes. And it actually, um, like it felt like it only took six minutes but it was or something. And, but it was actually much, it was longer than that. So I just got completely enveloped by that. And, and that's interesting too because also, even though i would never seen this movie in full, I'd seen so many clips and things over the years that I had seen most of those things in clip form from, from the, big, the big exorcism at the end with Monzito and the priest and Regan. So I'd seen bit, I've already seen all those bits and pieces. I just never watched the whole thing the way it was meant to be seen until now.
2: But overall, what did you think of the movie? Did you you enjoy it?
1: Yes. Absolutely.
2: Okay, cool. Absolutely enjoyed
1: it. Um, Absolutely enjoyed it. Not in the same way, but like Wicker Man, I was completely all in. Like, I I mean, uh, once you get past the opening credits, within 60 seconds, I was like into Wicker Man. I was into this movie. Um. Because it just... I could just tell! I don't know how you explain that. You can just tell when something... It it already looks like it's just so done with such purpose. And such... As if the director knew exactly what he was doing. As if he knew exactly what this was going to be. I mean, how it was going to be received and everything. Um, I was completely all in. Um, and this is what always gets me into movies that I don't have interest in ahead of time. Which is as soon as I start seeing... The um, cinematography and the um, the acting of the characters in, in many different things. It's like, oh, I'm in, I'm in. I mean, that's how I felt in Midsummer. Well, it didn't happen in the first thirty seconds, but like seven minutes into that movie, all in, all in. You know, like I just knew whatever this is going to be, I'm in. Um, and this movie was fantastic. Uh, it was, I, it perfectly made sense, all the sense in the world to me. That this is often considered the the greatest movie, uh, horror movie of all time yep makes sense to me um other things that i often comment on uh on movie podcasts um is it's such an interesting time 73 i guess i mean from a historically visual point of view because you see so many hints of the late 60s that you know obviously just passed in time but yet 73 has all these similarities to like the very early 80s as well it's such a weird in-between time that it um there, there's so many visual cues and references in the scenery and production design that reach from the 60s to the 80s that's so weird uh um with the clothing and then and like you know she's a uh, in the movie she's an she's like a hollywood actress her character and their kitchen is incredibly modern i guess because she's upper class rich it's incredibly modern uh, for '73. All her appliances, her sink, her fridge, and these things are fascinating because I like to be like a like a, um, a time period archaeologist uh, when I watch movies and series. <laughs> and this one's fascinating. Nothing else looks like it doesn't, it doesn't look like the stereotypical. Watch anything else that takes place in the early mid '70s, and it looks more like that '70s show or just like fucked out with like avocado green, whatever, or that crazy orange. Um. Uh, what do you yeah. call it? Uh, shag carpet. No. It's this is this thing exists like in its own unique 1973.
2: Okay. So okay. So I'm I'm just gonna say I I, I think that my parents in 1973. Um. They they had some really gross avocado green um accessor- accessories in the in the kitchen and all that. Um. <laughs> you have to realize that this this looks like I don't know it, it, back then. This was high living. This house is pretty fucking fancy.
1: A bazillion percent. And Korean.
2: And and that mm-hmm. is part of the tragedy here is that you know it's an upper class family, uh, a single mother um, afflicted by this, and that's part of the horror is that it could happen to anybody. Um, would it be different if it was a regular middle class or lower class family with avocado green furniture? Uh, that this was happening to i don't know
1: i think i mean you know it depends on many other factors but i think that would already start downgrading it uh in a, in a sense to to being more culty or b-movie if it was more like okay that. yeah
2: that's true and, and you know what there is a movie um that is not as popular as this obviously but it does it quite well in the first third of the movie and that would be the conjuring 2 the Conjuring 2, The first third of that movie, before Ed and fucking Lorraine Warren come in, is really f- creepy. It's really <laughs> creepy, um, and that's a that's a. Uh, I think it's a single mother with three or four kids living in an attached house in, in in you know in London. I think probably the East End of London, but don't quote me on that.
1: Uh, uh, more reactions. Um, so earlier we, uh, Sean touched upon how this is kind of one of those movies that when modern younger audiences see it, they don't necessarily react to it the way you think they should. Um, It can be kind of, I guess, taken as passé by the undergeneration crowd. Um, So for me, being a guy who, again, I have no proclivities to horror, never really have, except for some very particular ones. Um, And whenever I see random horror movie of the last 20 years usually generally you know things happen in that whatever horror movie it is and i like it almost never gets a rise out of me like i don't get scared i don't get surprised i just go okay that thing is happening (sighs) okay you know why am i watching this i don't really care that that's generally my reaction some random horror movies of the last 20 years um and so i had heard that before about exorcists like i've heard on i don't know some other random national podcast oh i showed my kid you know my 13 year old son exorcist and he was just "Eh, he was playing fortnite on his phone you know i was trying to tell him hey watch watch and he was like yeah okay you know i heard that before so i didn't know what's 100 percent to expect watching this movie start to finish um i would say the majority of the scenes that are meant to be shocking or uncomfortable completely worked on me i mean i'm not saying i was shuddering or scared or anything but i I mean i was like wow okay like i was having a reaction where again i don't typically have reactions to random horror movies i watch um they don't phase me at all and no this was unsettling so uh so i I didn't necessarily expect that because i'd heard you know how younger people don't really respond to it and no 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 no. i responded to it in ways i don't usually
3: to horror movies
2: younger younger people don't respond to it because there's very little in this that's of shock value. Um, everything in between really? is... Really? Very little? Basic. I
3: feel
1: like there's a fair amount.
2: Well, well, no, oh, I'm sorry. No, you're, you're right. I, I mean, time-wise.
1: It, it doesn't happen one after the other, but there's a fair amount.
2: Yeah, it doesn't have one of them, but the time-wise, when you think about the scene where she's hypnotized and then she, you know, grabs the guy's groin and furniture moves across the room this and then there's the, the, the masturbation yes. scene. Yes. But the, in in between that is all good acting. It's great. It's perfect.
1: 100%,
2: but it's see. unlike any other horror movie that was made at the time. My God, like a, it was nominated for Best Fucking Picture. You know, it was not of her best actors. You know, it's it's been given more accolades than any other any other horror picture that's ever. I think that sense of the Lambs might have been a little bit higher, but yeah, oh sense of the Lambs, that's right. You're absolutely right. That is one. That a was horror more Oscars? I, I get uh,
3: confused
1: when movies get like a little genre. Oh god! On yeah, that's a
0: big debate, <laughs> but it's it's considered horror. No, I don't know
1: because <laughs> it feels like thriller suspense, but it sort of is like a, I don't know. But I never thought of it as a yeah, straight but horror before. Thriller
0: thriller is almost horror. It all takes a tiny little
2: bit I get
1: that it's almost horror, but
2: I yeah, care. if it if it's if it scares you or makes you tense, I consider. it yeah,
0: a Usually, horror. if there's like murders, then it's considered horror.
1: Well, that's like Chicago. Then I guess that's a horror film, as far as <laughs> I'm <not> concerned.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, some people argue that Seven's a horror film. Of course, yeah, of course it is. It's it's
2: scary. See,
1: again, that's another one that blurs the line for me.
2: I think it's all academic, and it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Just,
1: okay, yeah. again, another another horror film for me would be um, Brokeback Mountain. Okay, let me go what? through my list
2: um <laughs> when did you feel anxious or scared in broke back, Man*? yeah what does that say about you are
1: you kidding me <laughs> i could, that was one of the rare movies that was dnf that's a sports term dnf did not finish that's one of those movies where i had to tap out because i couldn't take it anymore
0: and wow okay
1: that's a short list astro boy <laughs> the animated movies on that list for me um but it's a short list
0: hardcore henry for me in the theater Oh, really?
1: I've heard good things about that movie. Which one? I didn't hear it.
0: Hardcore Henry. It was kind of nauseating in the theater. It was just like way too chaotic with the first person perspective.
1: Oh, I wanted to see that, but I wasn't sure at all. Yeah, I was
0: a, a giant fan of a movie called um, Enter the Void, which is all shot in I know first it.
1: person. I knew it.
0: And so I was really pumped about Hardcore Henry, but just it was too nauseating. I couldn't finish it.
1: Interesting.
0: Eric, we, we may have you may have to
2: watch Brokeback Mountain for our podcast someday. Just saying,
1: that's fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take a i'll take I'll take an AZT and I'll I'll, I'll take a Eric. I, I don't
2: know how to I don't know how to I'll leave you.
1: Um, I don't know. Um,
2: you never even touched that fishing
1: pole. Okay, whatever. <laughs> and I hung tough. Um, no pun- And my roommate was like, "What the fuck are you watching right now?" At the time. And I was like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it And then I had to tap out I don't
0: think I've seen that since Heath Ledger died oh, that's, That was a long time ago now that I think about it The thing I remember most about that movie Is the score, it's got a great score
2: Um By a composer, I think he's Spanish Who, he won two ex- Consecutive Oscars For best score, for that and Babel
0: Oh, that's a great film
3: hmm.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah I only saw Brokeback Mountain because of Hulk I like that movie so much. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, Ang Lee's doing another movie. I'll watch
1: that." The one with Eric Bana. He's the second Hulk reference in this. <laughs> Is it? Oh yeah. But, right. Uh, I, I like that movie too, um, which starred Jennifer Connelly, who was also in *Requiem for a Dream*. With the uh, the double dildos, oh, yeah, d- Double yeah. dildo
0: scene. Um, yeah, Keith okay. David, famous line, ass to ass.
1: <laughs> what's what's become yeah. of this discussion? Um, I was gonna say, anyway. <laughs> Um. So yes, I was all in. Movie's fantastic. It completely made sense to me. Yes, I think that's a very legitimate conversation. Uh, you know, possibly best all time. Um, I noted how there's not like a ton of similar because obviously I'm the, the horror movie I'm most familiar with is of course The Shining, and it was interesting to me. They're not exactly the same, obviously, but uh, there's still a fair amount of similarities. And I Mm -hmm. thought that was just interesting, just noting that, Um, especially early in the movie. If you compare both of the beginnings of the movies, there's a lot of subtle crossover.
0: I'll just quickly mention Kubrick was actually up for this film. The studio was really trying to get him to do it, but he was worried that they would uh, kind of uh, assert too much control over it, so he declined.
1: Yeah. I would love to see that. That would probably. Oh my God. Anyway, that would would be fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. Other thing I was going to share.
2: I'd love to see that in an alternate reality, but but um, ultimately, I I can't. No, I I just. No.
1: I mean, that's just like me thinking about that idea of Tarantino doing a a modern Star Trek movie. But uh, anyway, um, another uh, thing I wanted to say at the top of the discussion was. A connection, not really a connection I've always had to this movie, is that um, I once uh, lived and worked in the D.C. area, and, like, as soon as I had gotten there, a co-worker at my job, you know, was, I was brand new, and they're, like, just wel- welcoming, welcoming me into the office, and then uh, one of the, my co-workers, who I just met, was like, here, I, you know, I'll pick you up tonight, and I'll just show you around like the area just just in in a car like we didn't get out everywhere just kind of drove me around just to point out some things um and you know we drove by georgetown it's it's so close to everything in the washington mall and capitol area you know it's right next it those infamous steps are so close to like um watergate and um the the national cemetery and the pentagon and everything it's just super close and so this person drove me by the infamous steps. I was like, hey, you know those steps right there? Okay, yeah. And they're like, yeah, those are the steps from The Exorcist. And I was like, okay. Because <laughs> I'd never seen The Exorcist. Didn't know I mean, I obviously heard of it, but I didn't know anything about it. And they're like, yeah, those are those famous steps. And I was like, okay, you say so. And so they pointed it out to me. And I used to see those steps all the time because I was always driving by like for work and everything. So I've cool. seen those steps like a million times. And they're just like right there. Um and so finally i've been able to connect that dot uh watching the movie now and then okay now i get it now i get those steps that i have passed a thousand times
2: i'd love to go there and take a picture of myself like sprawled out
0: dead at the (laughs) oh
1: that's horrible
2: (laughs) so caleb how at the end of the day how did you like this movie
0: um, I I always love this movie. I'm always happy to go back, I think. I know there's a lot of complaints about the pacing for this, but I think it's it uh-uh, does a really good job at just pulling you yeah. in. I think Linda Blair. I'm I'm a, bi- I'm a big fan of Linda Blair, and I think she does a great job in this film. Um Have you guys heard actually her original deliveries of a lot of the demon possessed lines?
1: no i <clears> I'm <if throat> very curious.
0: Yeah, you can find them on YouTube. I think she does a great job with them. I kind of wish that they kind of um blended in more of that
1: I was wondering if maybe because of course she's a younger actress, if she was maybe just like saying something else like on set, like "Happy Gun Drops Ditch" or something. I don't know because I was wondering if they were doing that, but I guess she was really saying.
0: Yeah, she was really saying the lines. Yep.
1: Interesting.
2: It was uh, very controversial when she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress because it was like, well, she didn't really say those lines. It was all M- Mercedes McCambridge, I think. Yep. That they just brought in and they had her smoke a bunch of cigarettes and do the. Uh, and I'm like, shit,
0: that's more than cigarettes that made that. But, you know, Linda Blair yeah, she, went. She said she was drinking raw eggs and whiskey. I got that
2: <laughs> weird voice. Hey, what's wrong with yeah.
1: drinking raw eggs and whiskey? I don't see
3: how that would add oh, to your
2: voice. Uh, whiskey, uh, no problem. I'm doing that myself right now. Raw <laughs> eggs, no, never. I got it with my wine. <laughs> eggs,
1: it ain't no thing. It ain't no thing drinking raw eggs uh, i've never drinking a ton okay. of them right.
2: well, speak for yourself okay There's so
1: many worse things to swallow i can think
0: of oh uh, okay don't no. uh no i'm thinking about it Uh, all right raw eggs well i'll just say on this recent viewing because i watched um exorcist 3 like maybe like four months ago i really do think that i like exorcist 3 more at this point it's a really good movie yeah it's so underrated i never knew that
1: uh, i never heard that it was a good movie you guys and george c
0: scott i mean he's just i I love that guy just in general but i think that's one of his best performances he just kicks ass completely and i
2: agree with that about george c scott um probably because i don't care that much about george c scott (laughs) um i don't think it's as good a movie as the first one um but i think it's a great horror movie agreed uh and I it's, never
1: knew that movie had that kind of reputation. Yeah,
2: there's a couple people in it, most notably Brad Dorif. Oh. You, you, you probably, if you don't know the name, you know the guy. If you saw a picture of mean you know exactly who I'm talking about. But it also has one of the biggest jump scares in cinema history. Stellar. Um, and I'm not going to say what it is. So
0: yeah, Brad wow, Dorif. Brad that's Dorif. probably another career best. I mean, just incredible performance in that.
1: Wait. First of all, he was a very fetching chap when he was quite young. But is this some worm from Two Towers? That's
0: the, that's the motherfucker. Yeah, that's him. yeah. That's yeah. the guy. Yeah, he was in that. yeah
1: I recognize him. Interesting. I forget what other movies I know him for besides that.
0: Kind of an underrated, like great actor. That guy. I mean, just some really stellar work. I'm only to a few things, you? but I agree. I guess. Yeah, I guess when we get textures Three, you'll you'll see because really a career best. Is he like in every
1: Chucky movie? It, it yep. comes up in his IMDb, but I don't know if that's accurate. Yeah, he's Chucky. Oh, Alien Resurrection. Oh, and Dune. Yes, that's where I know him from.
0: He's the voice of Chucky. Yeah, except for the remake oh. they brought in uh, Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill was okay, but the remake itself was, yeah.
1: Jeez, he was in the remake of Halloween, Halloween 2. He was in Critters 4. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. A very very
2: prolific, extremely prolific. Uh, but his, probably his best two movies are Exorcist 3 and... Uh, oh, Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, yeah Cuckoo's Nest I
1: haven't seen that one yet but um yeah wow. and the ones I mentioned whoa whoa
0: <laughs> yeah I'm just surprised you haven't seen one pull over a Cuckoo's Nest I thought that was like yeah, a prerequisite
1: it's on my list
0: make you watch in high school <laughs> no they did not <laughs> no they didn't me either they actually I so, took my own
1: VHS copy of, of um of Braveheart to school my senior year and my teacher and none of my class had seen it and we actually watched it and that was one of my greatest moments I'll just quickly
0: mention, since we're talking about Cuckoo's Nest, uh, the studio okay. actually wanted Jack Nicholson to play uh, Karis. Oh, yeah. I was going
3: to say that.
1: Yeah, which
0: is pretty bizarre that could work. to think. Oh.
3: I don't think it's
1: bizarre. I don't think it's bizarre. Oh, it'd God. be different. I don't think it'd be different.
0: Uh, I
2: could see that. Oh, I can't. I mean, uh, wait. I can't.
1: It, have, you guys he wasn't... Ever seen, have you guys ever seen Jack Nicholson be really bad in a role? I mean, I'm not saying that doesn't no, exist. No, no. Um, I, because, I mean, it would be different. But I don't see why Nicholson wouldn't be up to the... um...
2: I, you know, I could see him uh, being like, oh, golly. All his best roles, uh, maybe this isn't true, or maybe when he was older, even though he won an Academy Award shortly after this for Cuckoo's Nest, but when he, you know, like in his early roles like Easy Rider, um, you know, he played that drunken young lawyer. um, But I think he could... I could see him in this. I and I could see anything. him being really good in this.
1: Yeah, I agree. It would, it would be very different. It wouldn't be the same, but it would be something else interesting and special, I think.
0: I think Jack Nicholson can sprinkle in some really brilliant, in-depth moments. But I feel like most of his roles and most of his performances in them tend to have like that touch of humor to him. And then every now and again, he'll sprinkle in some really serious
3: moments. No.
1: I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong, but everyone go watch the BBS set and you'll see some more Nicholson a little bit different than you've seen before and but some of the same I I felt like he could do anything
2: five easy pieces yes that's
1: um, very notable that's hmm, yeah that's the most notable of the set as as it pertains to Nicholson
0: oh okay interesting Hmm. yeah I mainly know him from like his really early work and then a couple sprinkled stuff in the 70s and then all the older stuff so
1: I wonder if this is intentional, because I saw it. It was the scene where the father has that tape. He just took Regan, and he takes it to the guy. I don't remember who that guy was in relation to him in the movie. But the guy who takes the tape and has the idea to play it backwards, Mm -hmm. um, that scene in the movie. Uh, So when they're doing that, I don't even know where they are when they're doing that. But there's this sign above the um, cutout window into the room they're in. Oh, yeah. I forgot um, about that. And it has a word above it, and it's Tatsukete and I had no idea what that is. And I just saw that sign and I was wondering if that was intentional at all, that it was prominent in frame. And I just said, look up what it was and it's Japanese and it means help me. Oh, interesting. And that is what comes on screen like three or four minutes after that scene Mm -hmm. is the help me on the the belly, on the abdomen. Coincidence?
0: Yeah, by the way, I love that scene when he plays the reverse footage and she's just saying, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. fear the priest and Marin I actually quote that all the time to my girlfriend, and she gets really annoyed because she's like, "What the fuck are you saying?" She's never seen The Exorcist, but
2: <laughs> all right. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: yeah, any more? Uh, I guess I final I thoughts. I, I don't. This feels like it's been a big jumble, but
1: <laughs> uh. Oh, hold on a second. I feel like that's how <laughs> oh many of the best picture podcasts have been for me and us, and I also feel like. And of course, it's probably because the common element is I was there for. Yeah,
0: Wicker like Man. Like I too. was gonna say,
1: that's how I feel like the uh, the um the episodes I've been on. But again, I was there, so
0: yeah, except for the commentaries. But I guess those are kind of a jumble too,
1: in yeah, a way. Well, we were watching fucking Son of Godzilla. What the fuck am I supposed to say about that? <laughs> hey, we
0: found a a lot surprisingly.
3: <laughs> okay,
1: um, no, but I'm just trying to think if there's anything else big I want to say about this movie that I haven't said already um no i it's yet another example of i likely never ever would have watched this movie ever in my life um if not for someone telling me to or making me it was fucking bad it was fantastic it was fantastic and i think this is why i mentioned sean recently like i don't know maybe i'm gonna be turning into a horror buff or something i don't i, I no i don't think i still don't think that's true but
0: that's my goal <laughs> Same with Isaac. (laughs) Okay.
1: Well, there you go. Um, But I don't know if that's true, though. But, I mean, Wicker Man, this... Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, But again, like... Oh, that's what I was going to say earlier, too. Uh, Because Sean was... Or someone was talking about, like, um, parts of the movie. um, Like, the in-between parts. The dialogue where... For someone who's looking for horror, you know, you have to wait a little bit here and there. That's my argument for why... um, Hereditary didn't work for me. And I'm not saying those in-between parts weren't, weren't devoid of great acting and setup um, plot-wise. Brilliant stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying that they didn't have that. But I I felt like that movie went way too far with the waiting for something. Um, and yeah. I went in with a very open mind. I saw it the theater. I went in with a very open mind that I'm going to give this movie all I can give it. And... Um, and I was like, okay, I can get through this. I get it to slow burn, and I, I waited, waited, and waited patiently. And yeah, things did eventually happen at the end, but it... Oh my god! Don't get No, nah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't no. worth it for me. It wasn't. It wasn't worth it for me.
0: That was my problem too. It
1: wasn't worth it for oh me. Oh
0: my god!
2: And I was
1: it's like, it. and I got angry because I was giving it the benefit of the doubt the whole way up. Like I wasn't gonna shake my head. I wasn't gonna roll my eyes and then when it got to the, the end climax i, I felt betrayed no. i felt like motherfucker i hung in this no. whole fucking time pretending no. like this was this, the, the next coming of the shining no and it wasn't um
0: i loved all the stuff building up to the end it was the the actual end when i was finally like oh it's just kind of like a lame rosemary's baby true that off. okay
1: well that's interesting
0: so much it was brilliant until then
1: i still haven't seen rosemary's baby but interesting because now that that's illuminating. But, no, oh, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. If somehow it was worth it, and don't ask me what would have made it worth it, then it would have redeemed all the rest of the movie for me. I would have been all in. But I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I waited for this. Wait. Fuck you. No. Um And this movie, from my own personal perspective, was like the complete opposite of that. I was okay. all in all the way. I get that there's slower parts, but I was still all in. And to me, the climax was worth it. The I don't know what you call those... Mini climaxes before the the final, but it was all it okay. was all worth all it right. for all this right. movie.
2: Contractions. <laughs> I got I got. I got to say this in defense of Hereditary, which I think is probably one of the ten best horror movies of all time.
3: Oh God! Here we go. This
2: here we sad. go. Yeah, I know. I know. No, I don't no. No, Girl, no, no. go get in your lane. Okay, sit down.
1: And I always have to tell people. I always have to tell people. I'm not saying Hereditary is a terrible movie because it sounds like I'm saying that. I'm not saying. There
2: is a scene in Hereditary after the initial tragedy occurs where Gabriel Byrne goes into Tony Collette's like art studio thing and he finds out she's making a model of the accident scene that killed her daughter. And wonderful scene. It's like, um, it's kind of like, um, What the fuck are you doing? He doesn't say that, but he acts like that. And she has to explain to him, like... Well, this is really happened, and this is helping me. And ironically, what would really help her is maybe talking to her family, which she can't do. And that culminates in a great... um, uh, When they're having uh, dinner around the table, the three of them... (laughs) Especially between uh, Tony Collette and the son. Another great scene. Where they just have it out, like... What's going on? What's wrong? I can't remember what they say. I'm so sorry. And this does eventually culminate to something. Excuse me. That is a little bit improbable and a little (laughs) bit silly when you think about it, but it's still creepy as fuck. Excuse me.
0: Uh, (laughs) I'm so happy that you have hiccups on the show. You always have hiccups. (laughs) I've never had hiccups. So I think,
2: I think that there is a lot in that movie up until uh, the reveal um, especially with the friend um, that she gets to have by going to all these meetings but you know the meetings of you know when you find out that this lady may not really be who she is can we trust her or not why does she have a picture of you know it it is it's a puzzle movie and it's oh my god what's going to happen next what is who is this woman what is she going to do to Tony Collette I think that I, I totally disagree. I think every every scene in that movie is a building block or a domino uh, to what's in the end. Uh, you can't tell me otherwise. I I don't think that's the case with The Exorcist. I think you could take maybe a scene or two out, and the movie would still be pretty good. Um, you'd have to be very selective of which scenes they are. I don't know. Maybe the part with the, uh, you know, I think
0: there's a pubic hair in my drink. Or something like that but yeah you know. I love that friend actress you mentioned by the way Ann Dowd yes I, I think she's great in that movie I think she's great in The Leftovers yes. she, she's one of my favorite parts but. absolutely yes and again I think I think the performances make hereditary they really elevate that film it's just the actual plot itself I feel is the real kind of weakness to it
1: I agree with Caleb um, but I'll give Sean this because I'm a very upstanding sincere person with my opinions
3: Um <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys remind me
1: of my students in class. Like,
2: you're so you're like you're like so impassioned. You're like you're like. You just start laughing at me. And I'm just like, Why are you laughing? Well,
1: no, that was also true. You're, you're like you're like, like
2: Phil Donahue me. if he was able to be a guest on his own show. Well, let me tell you something. I just think this and that. I was watching Phil Donahue last
1: night. I'll have to unpack that <laughs> statement, but no, because I. You know, I don't like other people who I... It's mostly random commenters or reviewers I read, and I just feel like, is this really what you think? Because if this is really what you think, I don't ever want to know your opinion on any movie. But anyway... um, (laughs) No, but I'll give Sean this, because it's the truth. Um, I mean, in my opinion, which is... (laughs) Great, now I almost forgot what I wanted to give him. Um, That Oh, yes, this is what it was. I'm open to the idea that it could be true that if I was to revisit that movie seriously again, I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean really paying attention and giving it a full go again, I could see how it's possible that I have overlooked much in that movie or that I would really come around. Cause it, it that's happened to me with other movies before or I prejudged them one kind of way and I just really, you know, changed my tune later. I could see how Hereditary could have that potential. And a lot of things Sean was saying about the puzzle aspect you know i wasn't really because i i I didn't care that much when i was watching it but if i went back and then started to pick those things out i could see how that could really elevate it for me i'm still never really gonna love well i don't know who knows but i could see that movie i can imagine how i could turn it from like a two and a half to like a three or something or two to a three or something so you know i'll give it that any final thoughts for you guys Oh, well, last time we raised, um, last time we rated uh, uh, Wicker Man, so uh, we have to rate this. Did we? I don't think we did. I never do ratings. Yes, we did. I could have sworn you gave me a unit of measure and everything. No, I never do ratings on my show, but (laughs) if you want to, go ahead. (laughs) What? Hold on. No, I could have sworn that we've done this whenever we've just. Well,. No, never. I could have sworn, sworn you gave me a unit of measure. I do it on my, my, my stupid
0: Doctor Who podcast. I never do anymore, but I don't do it on this one.
1: Oh, well, I don't have to rate it. I just thought I could have sworn you did that last time, and so I was ready for it. Hey, if you want to, go ahead. I mean, I don't mind. <laughs> well, I'm not going to stop myself. Um, <laughs> and that's so weird, because, again, I thought we did it, and then so then this time i was like well now i'm gonna uh do the whole rotten tomatoes thing i do on the big picture big picture best picture um so uh i wasn't prepared for that part though um exorcist hmm, interesting now that i'm looking at the percentages not not what i expected uh with the critics 83 percent. that seems low to me Uh, i wonder if some like new age critics damaged the uh Percentage score. That's what happens a lot with older movies on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, I'm sure the hipster I'm critics uh, sure. mess things up. The re-release. Um And then we have the audience score, eighty-seven. Hmm, oh. interesting. But uh, for me, someone give me a measure, or I'm just lost.
2: Um, how many uh, out of five bloody crucifixes would you give
0: this?
1: Oh, <laughs> my gosh, that was actually rough. Um, I mean, in the movie, uh.
0: Yeah, which was thankfully a, a stunt double, not actually Linda Blair.
1: You mean it wasn't the real Jesus? Oh, sorry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, thankfully.
2: <laughs> Caleb, you're so stoic throughout this whole thing. Like you're just like, uh, w- what's the guy from Good Night and Good Luck? You're just like, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and just yeah, hey, I'm totally, I'm totally wasted. So <laughs> I'm gonna.
1: I'm kinda... <laughs> can't even tell. You kids in here really... <laughs>
0: That's what people always say. I, when I'm at my most drunk, I'm like at my most calm.
1: <laughs> I had no idea you were drinking or anything right now. Um, I'm, I'm going to give it four, but oh, as the years pass, uh, that could go up. I don't see it going down, but I'm giving it a four today. Four bloody crucifix. I don't know if I can even say out loud.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm at... I'm a 4.5 uh, masturbating crucifixes I mean this movie oh, is just so great
1: <laughs> doesn't even sound good when I hear it verbally <laughs> no it doesn't it out loud.
0: <laughs> yeah I think the pacing is just excellent in this it really just pulls you into the mood Then once you get to that exorcism at the end it's just like a great crescendo all the performances are brilliant I think especially Linda Blair I'm a big Linda Blair fan especially from some of her more bizarre like 80s kind of B-movie stuff I really like a lot of that you're
1: he a Heat kind of guy? Okay. Never
0: figured that either, but... Yeah, have anyone seen uh, Savage Streets, <laughs> I'm a big fan of that.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, I've been wanting <laughs> to, though.
0: So great. You got to see her in that. She's just like a revenge queen in that movie. Yeah, I... Okay, now nah,
1: I really want I already wanted
0: <laughs> to see it, but... All right. Your I'm
2: going to give it a 4.5 also. Um, I think that if I was older and I saw this in the theater, I would give it more. But there... Um, I, there are... Mm,
1: I feel like if I saw it in seventy-three, it would have been a five. Yeah, hole.
2: absolutely. It doesn't scare me. It never scared me that much, and that's why I'm I'm shaving off the half a star.
3: It doesn't
1: scare me, but I definitely found everything that I was supposed to find unsettling. For the most part, I found unsettling now yeah. in twenty twenty-one.
2: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's what I think about it. Um, I I think that I would have appreciated maybe, and you know, this is only because of other movies and, you know, stories that I've heard and podcasts and whatnot. Uh, More appreciation of how the demon came to be there and all that. I mean, I I don't necessarily think that the demon, the child that the demon possesses has to be one of the kids in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, or I'm sorry, Willy Wonk on the Chocolate Factory. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's just like, why them? Why her? So...
1: I don't even know what that means. What are we talking about with Willy Wonka?
2: Um, because all the kids, except for Charlie and Willy Wonka, those four kids, they were not maybe evil, but they were just bad kids. I mean... Yeah, they, they earn it in some way yeah. or another. We yeah. get
1: that, but what's the what's the connection? I, I lost it. I know but it happened.
2: wouldn't make sense, you know, if, if, if Reagan was Veruca's salt. That would be terrible. I mean, it would be a terrible movie.
1: You're right, but where does that come from? Who's, who talks about that, or what do people say?
2: Um, Just shit that I've read
0: like uh, like again Ed and Lorraine Warren shit you know do, do you mean like why why was she she was the one that was chosen for possession yeah yeah that doesn't it it doesn't
1: yeah no yeah it makes more sense if it's like a super sweet girl yeah. or something like that
0: there was actually one theory that i have but it relates to the sequel so we'll wait till we get to that okay. Eric. again i don't know if you want to oh, i
1: wanted to say too that um <laughs> uh, well, more final thoughts <laughs> No, because I, I forgot. Because, I again, this movie's 73, and sometimes when you watch an older movie of whatever genre, it can seem more, it can seem more predictable. Yeah, uh, I don't know about that. Through modern eyes. But I didn't know Von Zito was going to die, the guy who I didn't even know was Von Zito when I was watching him. I didn't know he was going to die. I was like, oh, jeez, okay. I had like a Qui-Gon moment from uh Anta Menace, my Star Wars <laughs> reference. And then well vanzito was also in star wars force awakens let's not forget but anyway um so there was that and then i didn't even i didn't even expect the priest the younger priest to die so i was as surprised like i didn't really see that coming i mean yeah when i thought about it later it made sense but i didn't see it coming so i was as surprised as anyone in 1973 it worked on me
0: yeah that's that's a wonderful sequence i love how the color changes because he's all like pale and demonic then all of a sudden he re- reasserts control and he just all the color timing changes. I think that's. Oh brilliant. yeah,
1: I saw that and that was really cool too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, and then of course I don't know his name, but the priest at the end who gets the medallion who is the friend of yeah of, of, uh, Father Dyer. Jeez, I don't know the characters. Name. Dyer Damien. Um, it just totally seems like they're setting up a sequel, but more like a straightforward, traditional type sequel to a horror movie. We'll see it. What it seems like. And of course, that's not the way heretic is.
0: Yeah, but Father Dyer does return. He does return in Exorcist Three, so we'll see him again soon. <laughs> I think it's important to note
2: that this movie was the uh, inspiration for so many horror movies afterwards. I mean, oh fuck done. yeah! Ten years later, we have the Poltergeist. Um, there are so many possession movies, even now today, like The Possession of Emily Rose. Ugh, everything. Uh, so I don't know. I have nothing else to say. Well, maybe I shouldn't have said I that. I maybe I should, oh, God, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs>
1: I, got
3: things,
1: I got two things to say about that. Um, one is, earlier Sean was talking about movies that scared him, that his liberal parents let him watch when he was young. And at the time when he said that, I was thinking about the two movies that scared the crap out of me that I saw when I was really young. And I was going to say, oh, yeah, the two, the two R movies I saw when I was really young because my parents, well, not my parents, I should say just my dad because my mom was against all this but my dad was just like uh the first R movie i saw at the theater because my dad just took me was um pink floyd the wall and the whole movie wasn't disturbing but the whole another brick on the wall part two sequence in the movie scared the crap out of me and gave me nightmares for a while after never seen it um (laughs) anyway and then the other one i was gonna say earlier was poltergeist but then I was thinking about it and I was like, wait a second. I had to look it up just to make I had a kind of feeling. Yeah, that movie's damn PG.
0: Yeah, that's. Jeez. Like so Jaws. It's not even R. Just like Jaws. Yeah. Oh,
1: it's, it's insane. The, yeah. And then the other thing, what, did, what was the other thing Sean made me think of just now? And Planet of the Apes. That was um, PG too. That was terrifying as a kid. That's what it was Planet of the Apes. So when you guys were talking earlier, then Sean just reminded me, because you guys were talking about how this movie like uh, changed horror, which completely it's so obvious, even though I'm not a horror buff, you can see how this is like a demarcation of this horror pre-exorcist and post-exorcist. And you guys talked earlier about, you know, like the 70s and, and the the more direct influences. I mean, soon after Exorcist, you see that throughout the 70s with Omen and all that business. And obviously anyone who watches, who pays attention to movies, it makes perfect sense. And I think If I had seen The Exorcist in 73, I probably would have been interested in checking out all those now famous uh, um, horror uh, franchises of the 70s in particular. I think I probably would have appreciated a lot of them or maybe even now if I see them, saw them. It seems to me as a person who has quite a distance to horror um, that if I had to choose a decade to look more into It seems to me the 70s does seem like the most interesting decade of horror as as a not horror fan oh that's what it seems like to me it's interesting
2: it's
0: the 80s it's the
1: 80s the 80s yeah well see see the 80s i'm a little bit more familiar with because i saw some of the more mainstream stuff in the 80s and i was paying attention at that time the 70s stuff seems so much more interesting to me and i can't remember which damien it was i don't know if it's the second or which one it is but one of those used to come on the free tv that i was watching when i was growing up and i would i never got to see the whole thing but i would always see bits and pieces that movie scared the shit out of me um just from the little pieces i would see on television
0: which one sorry I, i'm drunk so i, I missed what it you might said. have been the
1: second i'm not sure
0: what which the second
1: damien uh omen
0: oh omen yeah yeah the first one's great i think that was 78
1: jeffers the one that has the guy getting decapitated by the plate yeah, glass that's that's the that's one um, di-
0: that's the first yeah. one yeah i think it was actually oh, yeah, 79.
1: one. Well, they used to show that every now and then on my free TV. uh, David
0: Warner, by the way, that that played that photographer. Yep. Excellent film.
1: So to me, the 70s seems like a super interesting decade for uh, horror because of the change and everything, the shift. Um, And I mentioned it recently when we were talking about Wicker, probably, and maybe I mentioned it on Best Picture recently as well, because I feel like uh, (laughs) sci-fi was going through the same type of transition at the same time uh, as horror was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like both of them getting all serious and heady. Absolutely in America,
2: I don't think so, but in Italy, definitely. So that's that's what I have to say about that.
1: Totally in America in the seventies. No,
2: trust me. There's some Italian nineteen uh, yeah.
1: seventies. No, I know. I'm not disagreeing with the Italian stuff. I'm just saying the American stuff was all about it too in that decade. Uh,
2: um,
0: it, was, it was different Japan too. I'm a big fan of Japan's cinema at the time, so 70s was a really interesting time for horror. Uh, look, and... I
1: feel like we're all right, we're all <laughs> correct in what we're saying right now, so I don't see why we're fighting. But um, I don't think we're fighting. yet. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. All right, folks, only two more hours to go, and we'll be done.
0: <laughs> okay. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that was The Exorcist. Definitely a long, kind of random episode, but <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed all making right.
1: it. Well um buckle on your strap-ons because if we do the heretic that'll be a whole other different conversation <laughs> that
0: is going to be fascinating fascinating
1: i not build it up too much but oh but
0: yeah uh, any last words yeah uh any last
2: words eric say good night eric good night good night everybody
0: that's, that's what i was looking for peace
2: my oh my god I can't see this again movie was actually Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer Um, and I think that home invasion is one of the scariest things to think of and there's a terrible terrible home invasion scene in that movie that I oh no well I've seen it since like kind of recently and it's not as bad as I remember but you know when you see something as a teenager and it
0: sticks to your mind for 20 years yeah yeah home invasion is my absolute nightmare just poof terrifies me there's a terrible home I
1: was locked in someone else's home before against my will but but it it didn't take any dark turns like a horror film but that was a bit distressing that happened to me once in real life um but it it wasn't that serious wait
2: wait hold on hold on hold on because i you have to explain in 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 two minutes or less Okay. How you got locked into somebody else. Because this is, like, I've, I'm, like, fucking, like, what are you talking about? If you didn't want to talk about it, you wouldn't have brought it up. I but I'm afraid that it's it's, it's, it's it's not a- as
1: exciting as you think it is, but it's a true story and it's real. Um, unless... You guys carry on. I'll be right
0: back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jeez. That's not fair.
2: He'll hear it when he edits the podcast.
1: Okay. So, um as you know, I think, Sean, I used to deliver food a lot some years ago. Mm-hmm. And this is early in my food delivering career. And I was delivering pizza at the time. And I, like I said, I was still, this is still my first year of many years of doing this. And so I was still pretty green. And I was delivering a pizza. And it just seemed like anything else, no big deal. And it was a woman who at the time was perhaps 54, I don't know. And she was just like, oh, hi. Oh, great. You know, you brought the pizza, whatever. She's like, here, why don't you come and step in? Okay, sure, ma'am. Okay, and I just stepped uh, stepped inside her condo or whatever, um, and then as soon as I did, she had one of those heavy duty security like bar screen door, but not the flimsy kind, like the real, you know, uh, um, inner in New
2: York inner inner New York City type type shit.
1: Yeah, and and as soon as I walked in, she used her key on the inside to lock the uh, the deadbolt. And then she was like, mm-hmm. all right. And so she locked it as soon as I stepped in and she's like, all right, well, she's like now, and she was just a very open, open and well, open, opening? Oh, she was very welcoming, you know, initially. And then as soon as I got in, she she bolted the door and then she just kind of already shifted tone right away. And she was like, yeah, um, yeah, just uh, make yourself comfortable. And I was like, huh? <laughs> she's like, yeah, just just wait over there. And I was like, what is she talking about? Um. And then she called the restaurant where I worked on the phone. And as soon as my assistant manager answered, uh, she said, yeah. She's like, um, I got my pizza now. It's been over an hour. I got your driver here. I'm not letting him go until you comp the pizza. <laughs> and I was listening oh, to my the- God. I was listening to the phone call because I was right there in the same room. And I was like, what? Oh, no. Because also... <laughs> I knew my assistant manager who she was talking to, and he was notorious for never comping pizzas. Like, people would be like, my pizza was upside down, all the toppings were off, there was no cheese. And he'd be like, yeah, no, no, no. (laughs) And so the fact that she was trying to get a comp out of him, I started fearing for my life, because I thought, he's not going (laughs) to comp this. And she was serious. And I just slowly started getting a little bit more nervous as this, as this, um fiasco unfolded and i was probably there for i don't know 15 minutes and i just remember thinking i don't know how i can leave her place without taking her keys from her and like forcing my way out um yeah and that's it and eventually i think he did actually bend and give her like a little discount or something and then she let me out and then that's when i made up the new rule that i'll never step inside uh someone else's place ever again uh epilogue
0: hey, that's fair that's <laughs> epilogue there was some crazy. girls in their
1: like early 20s who are half naked who i did definitely replace though that happened years later but anyway that's the sequel there you go i took my chances <laughs> with those so there you go yeah i was taken hostage once Hmm.
2: no cat no <laughs> Sorry, he jumped on the keyboard. It's like Aww. they have this attraction to the keyboard.
3: Huh.
2: Um Stop it. You've done so much today. Don't make me kick you up. Um when Nicholson does like serious like, you know, businessman roles, which I could see with Ow! <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm having a situation here. Which cat? This is This is little blue. Um he doesn't understand how to play. He thinks you play by biting people's feet. Oh, Hold on, just give me three seconds. Hold on. No. Nobody likes you. Because you you play bad. You bite. Ow. <laughs>